Bless the Lord. It's so good to be here. Um, this is like home because I do know. Uh, again, I got a family here that has loved on me since back in the days. And uh, I've met so many through this family. And uh, whenever I come here, I'm pleased to join in to what I can see from afar God is doing. Uh, it's never lost on us, the diversity that's in the room, uh, the charisma that's in the room, the vertical seriousness and the horizontal intentionality that's here, uh, the multi-generational connection that is here. I just want to let you know that those of us that are witnessing it draw strength from it. And I speak of you often when I'm talking about places where what we are hoping for uh, is at least budding and blossoming. So I just want to let you know that. Uh, and I just want to ask for the Lord's help and then dive in uh, because this is about him. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the fact that you have people from all walks of life, every nook and cranny of society, who gather together and who gather together for the express purpose of making much of you. Forgive us for getting derailed and distracted. As our text will tell us, you don't take too kindly to that. But would you pour into us that we would pour out so that there would be those who would come in and meet the God who gave himself. Father, this is what we ask for, this is what we need, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We're in an era, as you know, that's been tagged, this is a time of deconstruction. For some people, this is a time of wokeness. This is a time of racial reckoning. This is a time where you can't miss the emphasis that's being placed on the temporal needs that we have and the horizontal focus that we want. This is an era where people are being called to weigh in on what they think about what we should be doing with the time that we've been given while on this earth. In the midst of it all, there's somebody that's catching a bad rap. And what I want to do today through Amos is I want to restore your confidence in religion. I want to help rescue religion off the trash heap. And I'm trying to rescue the religion that we should have from the religion that God hates. There is a religion that God hates. It's probably why so many people hate religion, because there is a religion that God hates. I just want to make sure we know which is which. And so today we're going to look at, through a passage of scripture, religion that God hates. And I'm going to say as an effort to restore the true religion that God loves. Well, Amos chapter 5, if you have your Bible. Amos chapter 5. And I'm going to look at verse 18. And I'm going to go down. Oh, I thought I had my text ready. Forgive me. 
starting with 18 to the end of the chapter 27. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me those, the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sychoth, your king, in Cayune, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Woo! the religion that God hates. First of all, in our text, we can gather that God hates the religion of self-righteousness. The religion of the self-righteous. You say, where do you see that, preacher? Well, he asked them a question. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? This word desire means why are you so thirsty for the day of the Lord? Why is it something you're so consumed with? Why is it something that you stress and emphasize? Why is it something that you long to see with such enthusiasm? What they were asking for in the day of the Lord, and this is the first time in the Bible that the references use the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was a day when God would come in and right wrongs. The day of the Lord was the day when God would intervene and interject himself in the affairs of men and deal with the bad guys and rescue the good guys. So they assume that they are the good guys and that everyone else is the bad guy. That's what we call self-righteous. The self-righteous thinks the problem is not me, the problem is she, the problem is he. The problem is not us, the problem is them. He says, why do you want this? This idea of justice. We live in a day where everyone stands up and they say, we want justice. I've been to, I can't tell you how many seminars, how many sermons since 2013 when the justice topic became the hot topic and it's 2022 and it's still burning bright. And guess what? I've never been in a place where people think they are the guilty party. They're the ones that are unjust. They always are talking about someone else who's unjust. Woe to you who say, give us justice without considering that if you get justice, it's going to come knocking on your door as well. Israel craved it the day of the Lord. 
The day of the Lord is an unavoidable, inescapable, inevitable judgment, setting things right and wrong. No matter the maneuvering, no matter the manipulating, no matter who you are, what side of the track, no matter what you do, what you haven't done, there's going to come a time when the day of the Lord comes down your street and it will bring righteousness. But the only problem is that, that is it's an equal opportunity blaster. <laughs> It's an equal opportunity corrector. It is unpardoned, uh, impartial. So in other words, it's unavoidable, inescapable, inevitable, unbiased judgment. Isaiah 13, 6, 9. Well, for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Watch this. 13.9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. They thought... Yes, that's what we need. Deal with the man. Deal with the system. Deal with the nations. Amen. Amos throws them for a loop. Why would you want this? Justice comes your way. And the reason why is because we want justice. Justice is from God and justice is of God. If you're taking notes, scribble Isaiah 117, where God tells his people, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This comes out of the heart of God. All of our desiring to see these things happen, we're right because it comes from him. Proverbs 21.3. You may have already got these because you've been listening to justice messages for so long, but tuck this away. Or underline it. 21.3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Isaiah 61.8. Throw it in your bag. For the Lord, I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. God has an aversion to the caper. God has an aversion to the slickster. God has an aversion to the person who uses and abuses their power to get over like a fat rat. At Justice, unavoidable, inescapable, inevitable, unbiased judgment. But when it comes, no matter what you do, it has to find you too. He says, it's like a man who ducked the lion only to run into a bear. Then the duck, the bear, stick his tongue out when he gets home and say, shoot, lions, bears, might as well throw tigers in, oh my. <laughs> Only to lean on the wall and then a snake bites you. He says there is no avoiding it. This is what happens. Every now and then you'll go and get x-rayed. Let's say you go in to get something done in your mouth or whatever, or let's say some work on your teeth. And when they want to take a picture, they'll put a, a, a vest on you. 
And this vest is a weighted vest that protects your body so that when the x-ray comes, the radiation that's coming to you will only hit what it intends to hit and everything else will be protected from it because radiation will do to parts of you that you don't need radiation what it will do to the parts of you that needs radiation because when it comes, it comes. God says, when I come, I come. And unless you are protected from the day of the Lord, we'll get to that, you too will feel the blast of the day of the Lord. He says, this is not going to go well for you, Israel. If you know anything about Israel, they lived any old kind of way. If you know anything about Israel during this time, they were at the peak of their prominence. They were at the heyday. They were doing their thing. And yet they were living in such a way that God says, I must now visit you and deal with the wrong that we see. They thought you're going to deal with other people's wrong. It's the self-righteous. One day I had a preacher come to do a chapel when I was in Bible college and I was all giddy and I was like, man, this guy, I want to talk to him because when I talk to him, I'm just going to wax eloquent. And when I wax eloquent, he's going to look at me and he's going to say, young man, you seem to be on fire. Young man, people are going to have you come to their church and they're going to introduce you with a lofty introduction. You are the man. I could tell the spirit of the Lord is upon you. Oh my goodness. When you walk through the door, I felt it in my bones. I thought that was going to happen. So I went in and I said, hey, I, 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 I've been meaning to meet you. It was a little private thing we got to have. It was, it was something you got to do it off uh, outside after school, uh, after class. And so I sat down and I said, hey, I just want to tell, and he was black and I was going to a white school. So I was happy because I was like, oh, we got double connection, right? It's us. Plus the Lord, plus you were killing it. Woo! And I sat down and I went through a little verbal eloquence. And he looked at me. He said, do you have any children? I had a son out of wedlock. I wasn't paying child support. I had moved on to the next city. I didn't mean any harm. I just, I don't have a job. But I was in class studying theology. I was going to church, listening to sermons. I was throwing on commission, if you know who that is. Fred Hammond, I noticed him. I was doing my thing. He said, do you have children? I said, well, I mean, I have a son. He said, are you supporting him? I said, not right now because I don't have a job because I'm in the Bible school. <laughs> he said, I'm going to ask them to remove you from this school. Now the school came to me and they weren't that harsh, but they did make me get a job and I started paying child support. <laughs> but what I thought would be for my good, let me hear the preacher bring God in my presence so he could affirm me only to find that what God would do was correct me. He says, why would you have the day of the Lord? It's an inescapable, inevitable, and unbiased judgment. And when he comes to you, he'll get you right, not them right. There's a religion that is the religion of the self. The self. Well, he looks and he says, well, 
from self-righteous, I also hate the religion of the self-focused. Self-focused. 21. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Now notice, at first it sounds like Amos is talking. When Amos says, why would you want the day of the Lord? Here, God is speaking in first person. As though Yahweh said, let me say this directly myself. <clears throat> I hate what you got going on. I hate this kind of religion. I hate this. First of all, it's not about me. Your religion is self-focused. It's about you. I hate it. It's about, this is your feast. These are your offerings. This is your animals. This is your songs. This is your harps. He says, this isn't about me at all. This is about you. John Piper, a preacher in Minnesota, he popularized this quote that's been dear to me, that we are happy to be God-centered as long as we're convinced that God is man-centered. We like being God-centered as long as God is man-centered. If God makes you think it's about you, <laughs> then you're into him. The moment it's not about you, it's no longer about him. Yahweh speaks for himself. I hate the strongest, unvarnished words. I despise. We started this off, the religion that God hates. Again, so every now and then you'll talk to people and people will kind of smooth out what God is saying. God says, no, don't smooth out. But don't say hate, right? No, no, no. Don't say that. No, God says, I want you to know exactly how I feel about this. I hate it. I despise it. I'm not with it. Yahweh comes in. The heart of worship is about him, but it's about them. And isn't that true about us today in church? It's about our comfort. We should do this church service because that's when the people like the. We should put these kind of chairs because the people like. And I'm not even knocking. I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, what I'm saying is, let's just be honest. People are tailor-making church for us as though church is about us and what Yahweh says is now that I know it's about you I just want to let you know I don't like that <laughs> your schedule your attention span we get in Bible study we say well it means what it means to me well what does it mean to God well to me I think well what does he think we have these events and yet the essence of what the event is is missing. We have the forms of church, but the forms are meant to carry out a function, and that is to focus on Him. The mega church religion sometimes comes out to only have a storefront church of reality. And there are some churches that are just storefront churches that have a mega faith because their faith is rooted on the God who has and is worthy of mega glory. Sometimes we ride the cloud of God for our sake. We sprinkle a little God on it, but it's not about God, it's about us. We just know that people will light up if it's God. We know that people will give if it's God. If they think it's connected to God, then they will give you something that they, more than they would give it if it's just about you. He says, I don't want what you've got going on. 
and you've got it all going on. Feast, feast that he required. He says, I don't want that feast. The feast that I required is not the feast you're giving me because your feast is about you. Instead about me, your solemn assemblies, that was where God called people to come in and to humble themselves and pray. He says, nope, I hear all about your praying, but it's not about you, it's about me. You're bowing your heads, but you're not praying. You're humbling your hearts, no, you're just sad and you're irritated because the preacher is going too long. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, which were offerings that were to say, I'm devoted to you. He says, I see them, but really that's just animals with burnt, that you're burning on altars. You're just having a cookout. <laughs> peace offerings of your fat and animals. Peace offerings are a way for you to have peace with God and to share it with your neighbor. He says, oh, it's not about your neighbor. In fact, you're just mad that they told you get up and shake somebody's hand that you never met before. Again, all I'm saying is there is a religion that has all of the you part, but it's missing the him part. <laughs> Yahweh says, even though I commanded these things, I hate your version of it. Get back to my version. I know you had Tasha Cobb come through. I know Todd Delaney led music. I know, I've seen your buildings. Your buildings is, that's hot. I like the stained glass I'm looking at right now. But what he says is, I hate it. He hates the, self, the religion of the self-righteous. He hates the religion of the self-focused. He hates the religion that's superficial. Watch this. Instead of all of that church you're giving me, minus the core, let me give you the core to go along with that church you're giving me. Says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Verse 24 is probably one of the most recognizable verses to us uh, in the Bible, apart from John 3.16. Why? Because Martin Luther King inserted it into his I have a dream speech. And we all know that what he was asking for was for all the vertical claims to be prosperous and to want freedom and to want liberty. Everything that was written down on the document would make its way into the neighborhoods of people who were being excluded. He says, only be true to what you said on paper. He said, let the justice that seems to hover above us make its way down. This is what God is saying. Yahweh says to his people I don't want just your forms I don't want just your songs I don't want just your programs I don't want just your religion what I want is for all that I am to fill all that you are and then like a stream he says a, a, a mighty stream an ever-flowing stream if you keep something flowing inevitably it will overflow he says let what I pour in you overflow so that it leaks from you and it goes out from you so that other people receive what I have put in. In other words, justice here is the vertical, the horizontal outpouring of what God has vertically poured in. That's how rivers flowed down and came down because they would be on mountaintops and they would come down and they would fill places that were lower. This is what it is. 
This is what God wants from his people. He wants what the character of God and the justice of God and the righteousness of God and the wanting things right. God's hatred for oppression. God's hatred for, uh, for disparities that are manipulated so that they'll stave disparities. He hates it. He says, now, let that pour down from me. See, we don't want to have to be righteous because we're not righteous enough. We don't want to have to come up with the justice because we're not just enough. We don't want to have to have this come from within because we don't have enough within. We need it from without. We need God to pour himself down into us. So much so, again, so much so, like waters coming down stream and overflowing, ever flowing. Not Every now and then, I'm nice to certain people. I'm nice certain times. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on my grind every blue moon. No. He says, I see your buildings and I appreciate your programs and I hear your choirs. I see and I hear your creeds. I see your, I hear your praise. You're making all kinds of declarations. I will trust you. I will serve you. I will follow. I will bow. All of the, I hear your words. He says, now let all of that show itself out horizontally as those things go from you out to others. This is what the Lord Jesus, we need an end campaign. We need somebody who has the church forms and the forms carry out the function that they were designed for. Justice in this case, someone has rightly noted, is both it's almost like the other wing of righteousness. That's why they often come together, justice and righteousness. Righteousness is or emphasizes a faithfulness to what is right. Justice, if there's any difference, is when what you're committed to, what's right, is structured so that it affects society. Let me read the quote. If there are shades of differences to be discerned, justice puts a slight emphasis on establishing and preserving order in society by righting wrongs and punishing wrongdoers. While righteousness emphasizes relationships that covenantal society entails and insists that each partner in the covenant do all that is necessary to keep the covenant working right. In other words, it's not only the words, but it is the deeds. It's not only your orientation toward what's right, it's the concrete actions that you put into effect so that the society that you live in actually is upheld by God's righteousness. Pastor Warren Wiersbe once said, if your lifestyle contradicts the word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the word of God. This is why people argue over what does the Bible mean by what it says. Because once we know what it says, sometimes it conflicts with our lifestyle. There are people who are changing definitions because they're determined to live according to their definitions and God's definition, not God's definition. There are people who are rethinking their identity because what God says about them is contradicting what they want to be said about them. Justice would not just pick and choose which right you want to write and which wrong you want to say is wrong. It's learning what God says about everything and then letting what God says about everything flow through you into society so that society is ordered in such a manner. 
So what I'm saying to you today is I don't want you to throw church away. I don't want you to throw religion away. I want you to throw the religion that God hates away. I want you to throw a religion that really is a religion of the self-righteous, where everyone around thinks everybody else is the problem and not themselves. Uh, the self-focus. I want you to leave churches that, that make it all about you, that make it all about the forms, that make it all about the agenda that Pastor Sonny was talking about, checking it off the list and ignoring the fact that there's a family that needs prayer, ignoring the fact that there's somebody who is saying, let's not move past this moment. Go, can we, can, we, can we hover here for a while? Being able. And then one that's not just shoddy and slanted, either horizontal or ver vertical, but both. But both. We want something that's not superficial. You see, religion is that kind of thing you see from a distance. The question is, what do you see when you get close? You remember when Jesus looked at the temple? The Bible has a story of Jesus going to the temple and Mark's gospel records it this way, that Jesus went to the temple, looked around and he left. The next day he says he was hungry. So he saw a fig tree. It says, so he walked over to the fig tree, which had a lot of leaf. When he got there, there was no figs. He cursed it and said, May no one ever eat from you again. The text in Mark says, then he went to the temple and he flipped over the tables in the temple and said, y'all got a lot of religion going here, but really this is just goods and services. This is a marketplace. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, when God comes to his church, he doesn't expect to not find leaf forms. He doesn't expect to not find singing. He doesn't expect to not find organization. He doesn't expect to not find protocols. He doesn't expect to not find regular gatherings. He doesn't expect to not find a sermon that has a start and an end. He, he doesn't expect to have not find organization because he is the one who he, he structured it so. He's the one that came up with the idea of have people sing to me. He's the one that came up with the Levites and said, let the Levites go out in front and praise. He's the one that came out with the, now this is how you ought to offer, and these are the kinds of offerings. He's the one that came out with, now I want you to, they built a podium for the word, and the priest would read it, and then they would give the sense of it, sermons. Uh, he's the one that came up with this. He's the one that, though he didn't need a temple, he blessed the temple, and he resided in the temple. He's the one that said, now I'm building my church, and my church, they don't need the building, but it just makes sense that if you want to be locatable that people should know where you're located so when they come they'd see me all robustly in your midst I'm just saying might as well have your building be nice if you can we need the and campaign we don't need either or we need both and well this idea of justice and righteousness we know from those who know their Bible is what God will do, and that's the gospel. The gospel is that what God requires from you, he provides for you. You see, what's the law, I'm almost finished. The law is the do's and don'ts without the power to do them and don't them. <laughs> the law was, how about I tell you what to do, what not to do, would you agree? Do the do's and don't do the don'ts. Yep, sign me up. No guesswork. Guess what? No one has ever done the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed except the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The gospel is, I will require something of you, then I will drive you to me to fulfill it. Then I will do what you can't do, and I will credit what I do to your lack of doing. Let's go. I will take my righteousness and put it in your account and take your poverty and put it into my account. I will take my faithfulness and put it in your account and take your unfaithfulness and put it to the tree. I will take your wrong deeds and I will put them on the tree and I will take my right deeds and I will put them in your account. So when God comes looking for the righteousness that he requires, he sees your bank account loaded. How is that? Because it's been placed into your account. Well, look at this beautiful picture. It's called grace. How could God get away with such a travesty of giving us what he demands from us? It's called grace. There's two parts of grace, and I, I, I love this because two preachers, I don't even know how to pronounce their name, but I'm going to tell you this, Henry, uh, John Henry Jowett, and I'm not sure, but I don't know if he's going to say, no, it's Jowett, right? So, but it's Jowett. And um, so, l listen to this one. The, the, the <laughs> and John D Daniel, Daniel Jones, now I can do the Jones. There it is. That's what I needed a minute ago when I was on a rant and they were clapping. I needed somebody to say Amen. 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 Two parts of grace. I'm almost finished. First, the essence of what grace is. The essential meaning of grace is love. But it is love with a certain connotation. Love that takes a certain direction. So, it's true to say that while all grace is love... Not all love is grace. Love can be shown by an equal for an equal, by a higher for a lower, and by a lower for the higher. But grace can only be shown by a higher for a lower. We can love God, but it would be blasphemous to say we're gracious to him. Grace is God's loving commitment to pour down what we need right like a stream fall down like a river and fill you so that you have what he requires but look at this Jawit the energy of grace the first was the essence of grace now this is that grace is not fuzzies grace has energy watch this Grace is too commonly regarded as a pleasing sentiment, a sofa disposition, a welcome feeling of cozy favor entertained toward us by our God. This interpretation is ineffective. Inevitably, it cripples the life in which it prevails. Grace is more than a smile of good nature. It is not the shimmering face of an illumined lake. It is the sunlit majesty of an advancing sea. It is a transcendent and a, I'm a, ineffable, that's a big word, but just no powerful force, the outgoing energy of the redeeming personality of God washing against the polluted shores of human need. That's just a big way to say. Grace is what God provides and it has power to do something in you so that what you do once you get that grace is not just absorb the grace, but then you go out and you're transformed. Titus 1, 2 says that grace has taught us to say no to ungodliness, that it is grace that has taught us to tell our flesh no. 
and to tell our stubborn, lack and unmotivated self, yes. Earlier, the, uh, we were being told in, in praise. He said, I will tell my soul. I will tell my soul. We were talking to ourselves because the lack of motivation. And so what we do is we remind ourselves of the grace that has come down. We remind ourselves of the love that has come down. We remind ourselves of the cross where the Lord Jesus allowed his blood to come down so that he could rise us up. All I'm saying to you is this is a religion and that religion that God hates is the one that's lacking, lacking. And so this is what we need. We need a, a, a religion that doesn't leave God out. We need a religion that doesn't replace God. Not self-righteous. We want the day of the Lord because the day of the Lord will be when Christ comes and rights all wrong. But we're saying, let it begin with me. Get me right so I won't be wrong. We want the grace. We don't want to be self-focused. When we come in here, we wanted to make sure that we bring our A game because it's not about us. It's all about him. And again, I don't mean to make this just church, but that's what's in jeopardy because people want to go home and be religious on their own or they want to be spiritual. But this assumes that God has a recognizable people gathered together, feasting, praying, singing, and being a public witness for his name. So we want to preserve that. We don't want it superficial. We want to be more than just the outer. We want to be the inner, more than just lips. We want to be life. And here's the end. He hates the rejection of substitution or the rejection of a religion of substitutes. Verse 26 ends like this, and I'm closed. You shall take up Sikath, your king, and Kayun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This last piece is where God says, so you've made traveling idols. He says, well, pick up your idols. I'm about to boot you out of my house. Pick up these Assyrian gods that you've crafted. Take up your idols, their mobile shrines to these false gods. He says, pack them in your bag because I'm about to send you out of the land. This happened some 40 years later. We see them, 722 BC, you see Israel being booted out of, the northern kingdom being booted out of the land, going in to the very gods that they were bowing to. The very idols that they had made, they became subservient to. Isn't that exactly like idolatry today? We tell God no for what we want, then we become a slave to what we want, and then God has to rescue us from what we said we wanted. <laughs> How many people right now are having mental health issues? Why? Because they told God no, and they said, let me have what I want, and that led them to a mental crisis. For some people, the home crisis. For some people, and I'm not throwing shade at anyone who's wrestling with this, what I'm saying is that sometimes we don't diagnose that when God is replaced for a cheap substitute, we actually are at the beck and call of those cheap substitutes. He hates a religion that substitutes him for something else that's lesser than him. And it could be the pastor, it could be the choir, it could be the programs. How many people like the church because of its, what it does for their kids, but they don't like the God of the church? How many people like Christianity because it's kind of a safer kind of religion? At least they're not flying planes in the buildings or suicide bombing. And yet, 
We can sometimes want the safeness that God provides, but not want God. There are people who use the Bible. I don't believe it. I just think it has the best phrasing. There are preachers who use the Bible just to trigger your thoughts. They'll read a passage, close it, and never go back to the passage again and just kind of rattle off their own thoughts. He says, I hate to be substituted. I reject it. I was talking to Kirk Franken the other day. I'm close. I'm finished. That's my third, fourth finish. Okay, I better really finish. I was talking to him. He said, man, you know, I'm, uh, the worship culture. He said, you know, worship for this new culture has become almost like a high for them. The activity of the worship culture releases endorphins. They like the worship culture, but many of them don't know the God that they're worshiping. It's so easy to replace God for the things that God provides. This guy, if you've ever heard of Salvation Army, if you ever walked out in the Christmas day, ding, 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 and you threw some money in, the Salvation Army was started by a man by the name of William Booth. William Booth, who founded it, he said, man, I'm going to tell you what y'all got to watch out for, and I'm paraphrasing. Religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without regeneration, morality without God, and heaven without hell. He said, that's what's coming down the pike, and guess what? Here we are, 21st century. Tell me you don't see that. And so, Detroit Church, I just stopped by to say that that powerful passage, let justice roll down, right, like a river. That passage is not just about you demanding your version of justice. It's set in the contrast of you understanding that you want the God who is just to pour all that he is into us and then use what he pours in us as it overflows out to them. Start it with me, Lord. It's about him. Reclaim that and reclaim anything that's dedicated to his glory. Let me end with the words of an old preacher, an old black preacher named John Jasper. If you've ever heard of him, research. One of the first black preachers we have on record. John Jasper one time was talking about the glories of heaven because what's true about religion is what's true about heaven. There are people who want heaven, but they don't want God. They're looking forward to seeing their old friends again. They're, old, they're looking forward to seeing the dog that died. They're looking seeing grandma, I miss her. Uh, they're waiting to see their loved ones. And so God is an afterthought. They're looking for pearly gates. They're looking for gold streets. They're looking for all these things. And yet God is saying, heaven is about me. <laughs> Just like religion, you're looking for, but religion is about me. True religion, it's about me and you poured out to them. Well, John Jasper was thinking about heaven, and we can apply this to both heaven and religion. He says, one day he was overtaken, he was tearing up. And he said, brothers and sisters, when I think of the glory which shall be revealed in us, I can visualize that day when old John Jasper's last battle has been fought and the last burden has been borne. I can visualize that day when this tired servant of God shall lay down his burdens and walk up to the battlements of the city of God. Then as I stand outside the beautiful gate, I can almost hear the mighty angel on guard saying, John Jasper, you want your shoes? I was going to say, of course I want my shoes, 
my golden slippers to walk the gold-paved streets of the city of God, but not now. Then I can hear the mighty angel as he says, John Jasper, don't you want your robe? Eyes are going to say, course I want my, wants my robe. That robe of linen, clean and white, which the righteous of the saints, but not now. Then the angel would say, John Jasper, you want your crown? And I shall say, of course, mighty angel, I want all the reward that's coming to me. This poor black servant of the lamb, but not now. Then the angel would say, John Jasper, wouldn't you like to see Elijah, the great prophet who called down fire from heaven? Wouldn't you like to shake hands with John, the beloved disciple who leaned on the master's breast at the last supper? Wouldn't you like to shake hands with Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, the greatest church establisher and soul winner of all time? I say, course, mighty angel. I want to know and to shake hands and to commune with those, the saints of God who have won the incorruptible crown. Yes, I have some loved ones over here I want to see too, but not now. First, I want to see Master Jesus. I want to see him first of all. There's somebody who had their religion straight. Yeah, I want to sing it. Yeah, I want the building if I can have it. Yeah, I want the nice lights. I wouldn't mind some comfortable seats. Praise God for air condition or big fans in their absence. Praise God for whatever comes with the territory that will not distract us from who's first of all. Let justice roll down. Streams and rivers pouring out. Pouring in and pouring out vertical to horizontal life not just lips if you're not a believer in here we just want you to know that forgive us for our bad religion forgive us for the times we've been a shell of the reality and not the reality itself Forgive us of the time we've been all song and dance and no substance. Forgive us of the time we've been vertically focused but not horizontally sensitive. Forgive us of the time when our good deeds were missing but our many words were present. But what we want to say to you and everyone in here right now is the Lord Jesus has taken control of his church and said, I hate that too. I love a religion that is a true religion that is the product not of the self-righteous but of the righteousness that I provide not of the self-focus but on the God focus because I'm worthy not of substitutes and not superficial but the real deal Christ seated on the throne and us bowing in his feet and imitating his lifestyle and if you don't know him today, he stands and says, come to me if you're weary and you're heavy laden and I will give you rest. I don't know what the protocol is here, but in your, where you are, you can say, Lord, I know that I'm the sinner first.
yeah, I know some sinners, but the first one I know is the one in the mirror. Would you save me from my sin? I receive your sacrifice on behalf of sinners. Then plug me into a bunch of people who are striving to live out a true religion, one that you love and not one that you hate. Come and secure me. And I'm asking it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.